Rabbi Stephen Warnick reflects on the need for adult behavior in challenging times. This sermon is called The Sand of the Sea. Enjoy. Uh, as everybody hopefully should know by now, uh, Beth Sedek is one of the location shoots for Adam Sandler's new film, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. Uh, the reason we're still in the sanctuary is that the chapel is still a set, at least through Tuesday or Wednesday of this next week. Um, and so we can't go in there, really, because it's set up for the movie. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to host to host the production, to get to know some of the producers and the director and the location managers in particular, uh, as well as to get to uh, meet and talk with some of the stars. The movie, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, is based on a book of the same name, a couple years ago written by Fiona Rosenblum. In the book, Stacy Friedman, who is the protagonist, uh, the bat mitzvah, discovers that her best friend Lydia, uh, kissing her crush Andy Goldfarb, and does what any reasonable grade 7, 12, 13-year-old uh, young woman would do, uh, Stacy disinvites Lydia from her bat mitzvah. All this teenage drama is taking place while larger drama in Stacy's life is also taking place. Uh, she has to deal with her stressed out mother and dress shopping. She has to deal uh, with her father's leaving and tension between the parents. And she has to deal with her embarrassing siblings. As a rabbi, an educator, and a parent, all of this seems very familiar to me. Grade seven kids can be a burden, they can be irritable, trouble, and filled with strife. How can any parent handle it? What's odd, or perhaps maybe not so odd, and I should stop viewing these things as being coincidental, is that when you read this morning's Torah reading, you find many of the same characteristics of a grade seven child in the characteristics of the people of Israel. And you see Moses responding as any parent of such a child would respond. Moses, after all, who led the people through the trials and tribulations of 40 years in the wilderness, from exodus and wilderness to the gates of the promised land. Moses, who didn't seem to get flustered at all, when leading the people across the Sea of Reeds or fighting battles against Israel's enemies along the way, Moses, who had no problem in overcoming any natural or human obstacle on this journey through the wilderness, and what's the one thing, the one thing that makes him stop and wonder, wonder how to handle it? What gets to Moses more than anything Else that he had to deal with. We find it in verse 12 of the beginning of the Parsha when Moses cries out, How can I handle this burden? And what's the burden? Your trouble, 
Umasachem, your burden, Varivchem, and your bickering, the trouble, the burden, and the bickering of the people of Israel. The Sifre on Devarim, one of the Midrashic texts on our Torah, says that the petty bickering about Moshe's personal life is what ultimately got to him. That the people would watch when he would leave his house. They would watch his front door. If he left early, they would say, ah, he must be leaving early to get away from his wife and kids. They must be driving him crazy. Or if he stayed later, they would think, ah, Moshe is cooking a plan to see what else he can do to make life difficult for us. He couldn't, li- he couldn't, he couldn't win. If he left early, he had problems at home. If he stayed late, he was conspiring to cause problems for the people. Echa eselavadi. One can understand Moshe's exasperation with this people. And so the consensus of the Midrash is that what Moshe couldn't handle, what got to him ultimately, was the people's tendency to argue amongst themselves. We see it again in the Haftarah, in Shabbat Chazon, in Isaiah's vision, his premonition of destruction of Jerusalem. The people, the people he, he describes them as a sinful nation, weighed down by iniquity, a brood of evildoers, destructive children is what Isaiah calls them. Destructive children. It is okay, even acceptable, and developmentally appropriate for children in grade seven to act like children in grade seven. After all, they're reacting to their development, to the onset of purity, with uncertainty, with moodiness, to be self-conscious. It is not okay for adults to act like children. When adults act like children, when they get bogged down in pettiness and bickering and strife, that leads to sinat chinam, to senseless hatred, to destruction. And the reason that the rabbis assign to the destruction of the Beit Midrash or the Beit Mikdash and why we commemorate Tisha B'Av this evening and tomorrow. 2,600 years later, after the destruction of the temple, we see that things in many ways haven't changed. Or the more they change, the more they stay the same. Israel at this very moment is engaged in a conflict with Islamic Jihad and Hamas, and I haven't seen the news today, so I don't know what's happened since yesterday to today, and we all know that in the Middle East, a lot can happen in 24 hours. Right? Israel's engaged in conflict, and yet so much of the Jewish world continues to bicker amongst themselves, to fight at the Kotel, uh, bracing ourselves for the potential that tomorrow at the Kotel, or even tonight and tomorrow at the Kotel, when the pluralistic groups come to Davin and to pray and to remember the destruction of the Beit Mikdash, we hope we won't see a repetition of what happened last year, 
when some of the more extremist Orthodox groups came and not only disrupted their prayers, but uh, called them names and epithets and whistles and threw things at them and destroyed Sidorim and so forth. And already we see that Israel's upcoming elections are shaping up to be the most negative and filled of vitriol yet. When will we learn? When will we learn? When will we grow up and stop acting like children? Moses has a very clever response to this challenge. The challenge of the childish behavior of the people of Israel. In the Parsha, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we read the following. And thereupon, uh, God, uh, Moses uh, says to, to, to God, I'm not able to handle this burden, this strife by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you until you are today as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then verse 11, May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase your numbers to the thousandfold and bless you as God has spoken that God will do. It's a very subtle response. You have to pay attention to what Moses is saying here. He's recalling a bracha from Bereshit, in which God in the covenant that is made with Avraham says that Avraham's descendants will be as numerous as the stars and the sand of the sea. And yet, what's missing in this recollection of that bracha in Deuteronomy? We get only one half of that blessing. We get only the stars. God has made you as numerous as the stars. The sand is not included. And God's response to the bickering is to expand them, seemingly for the careful reader, as the sand of the sea. Now, why is this important? Stars exist in the sky, in space. They're high above us. They radiate light. They have this perspective, or we have this perspective of them, of, of something that's proud. They're individualistic. They exist thousands of light years one from another. Sand, however, is at our feet. It's something that we can come in direct contact with. It's lowly and humble. And its individual grains are grouped together such that they are sometimes virtually inseparable. So Moses hints that the problem here is that Israel appears to only be like the stars. They're behaving in, in a way of individualistic 
and hubris that we would expect from a child who only thinks about themselves. And what happens when stars collide? They explode. They release a tremendous amount of energy. So Moshe's prayer is that God complete God's promise to the people and bless them as both the stars in the heavens and the sand at the seashore to bring together both the individualistic nature of a human being with the togetherness, the sense of being together of a people. That this people, somehow or other, are still not fully formed as a people, as the sand would otherwise be. Now, why is this so important to note before Tisha B'Av? Esad levadi tarchachem umaaschem verivachem. Moshe can't handle the difficulty, the burden, the strife of the people. And what we see is that Echa, how, how can I bear this burden by myself? Echa in the Haftarah, how can it be that Jerusalem, the faithful city, has become a harlot? Echa in Jeremiah, in the Lamentations, in the book of Echa, how is it that Jerusalem can now be as a widow? How do we confront these three Echas? the sense of personal exhaustion, moral decay, and physical devastation. Echa, how do we do that? A little bit of a word game. The word Echa is spelt Aleph Yud Chaf He. If you look at it without the vowels, it's the same word and spelling that we find also in Breshit in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve eat from the apple, they discover they're naked, they close themselves, they're walking around in the garden, and God asks Adam, Ayeka, where are you? Same word, different enunciations depending upon the context. Ayeka, where are you? Now, God doesn't need to ask Adam where he is. God knows if God's going to be God, God knows where Adam is. So what's the meaning of the question? The question really is not directional, but one of morality, of value. Where are you? How are things in that part of the community that you inhabit? Are you part of the solution or part of the problem? The sign, one of the signs of maturity of that transition from childhood to adulthood is the ability to ask ourselves, Ayeka, where are we? Yes, we have, we might be facing all sorts of problems. We might have all sorts of challenges, whether they be personal of our friends kissing our desired boyfriend or more global like climate change. But the question of Ayeka is a question of where are we in terms of our responsibility for how we address this problem? 
That's one of the brilliant messages of the movie, quite frankly, which is based on the brilliant message of, of becoming bar bat mitzvah, of b'nai mitzvah. We celebrate that moment when a young person hopefully reaches the age when they start to understand to ask the question ayeka, and they can answer it in terms of their own position in relationship to society. Becoming bar bat mitzvah is about that. It's about learning enough Jewish wisdom and practice to start operating and acting as an adult. Luckily for Stacy Friedman, the protagonist in You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, her rabbi, Rabbi Sherwin, who Rabbi Fryer Bodson and I both have these wonderful uh, pictures with, you know, which one is a rabbi and which one plays a rabbi. Uh, but luckily, Stacy's rabbi, like all of us, um, know this. And what is it that Stacy is given in order to understand the meaning of becoming bat mitzvah? The meaning of answering the question ayeka? She's given three mitzvot to fulfill. She's given an opportunity to go out into the world and to practice Jewish responsibility. And she finds it difficult which we all do at different moments in our lives. But at the end of the story, she gets it. And she understands that friendship, relationship is important. And that what it means to be an adult is to forgive. Is to forgive and to move forward from there. So, we may not be invited to Stacey Freeman's bat mitzvah, but when we come to shul and we approach each other and we engage with Torah, every day becomes for us like a bar or a bat mitzvah. Because once we turn 12 in a day or 13 in a day, we are Jewish adults. And the idea of mitzvot is a system to reinforce with us always the answer to that question, Ayeka, where are you in relationship to God, to your people, to your community? Shabbat Shalom.